and welcome to the Warhammer 40k book club. This is episode number 15, in which we're discussing Knights of McCrag by Nick Kime. I'm Jen Bosher. And I'm Carrie Honey. And this is Warhammer 40k book club, where we read for McCrag. Every episode, we discuss a book that we've selected from the Black Library's Warhammer 40,000 catalog. We post the book, along with questions to ponder, on our website, warhammer40kbookclub.com. Listeners are able to read the book, and then tune in to hear our discussion. We encourage participation through Twitter, the site, or Encrypted Box channel. Spoiler warning. If you haven't yet read the book, go to the site, check out the book in questions, and then come back to this episode as we'll be discussing the book in great detail from start to finish. As mentioned, this episode we're discussing Knights of McCrag by Nick Kime. The book is about the five years in which Cato Sicarius, he, he Cato Sicarius, Sicarius, was lost in the warp and considered uh, MIA for a bit. Let's dive right in, shall we? What did you, or did you like the book? Oh, I love the book. <laughs> I really liked this book as well. I loved the first half. I really liked the second half too, but man, that first half, <laughs> we'll talk a lot more about it later and how they kind of worked together. But as I, I think I told you, I, th I felt this book felt like a cup of warm cocoa. I got to the end of it and was like, whoa, that was just nice. <laughs> Which given the subject matter, I was like, hmm, that's an odd reaction to have, but it was, it was just nice. <laughs> that's not how I'm gonna, like, Cato Coco Sicarius here. Coco Sicarius. <laughs> well, it, okay. Um, coming off of some of the books that we've read this year have been really heavy. Some of them have just been really bloody. It, this was just a nice, warm hug. And it really was. And it doesn't, it's funny you say that considering after I finished the book and I was, I literally wiped tears at the end of it. And then I sat there on my, cause I was staying up late and I was sitting on my couch and I actually gave the book a hug. So it's like, oh my oh. God, it's just so nice. I think I did too, actually, because I got to the end of it and my husband was, I stayed up late reading it as well. And I got to the end of it and I was just like, oh, <laughs> it hit, it hit a lot of my uh, soft spots and a lot of the thing, checked a lot of the boxes that I look for in a book. Um, it, in a lot of ways, it kind of picked up the mantle from the Ultramarine series and that it was just a good story about space Marines doing space Marine stuff. And yeah. So what parts of the book really stood out to you? Well, one thing that stood out to me. Um, so uh, I'm a big Roman history nut. Right. And, um, you know, I studied Latin for a long time. And anyway, so when we get to uh, Scipio, who's name last name i know scipio's his last name but no he's africanus after that that's just all that there is to it and his best friend is um Eulis. spells his exact his name exactly how julius caesar spelled it in latin no there is no ius it is Eulis in the original latin and they're talking and Eulis makes a comment about you know i think because scipio's like well i've been thinking about this and Eulis says like, you know, thinking is dangerous. And I had this moment, I was like, okay, someone read Shakespeare. <laughs> I get it. That's cute. But, uh, I mean, that was just kind of like my, oh, 
okay, we're just hammering this Roman thing just, you know, right in there and fine. I'm, the tech I'm... priest's name is Hephaestus. I like, know. I guess they couldn't. I mean, they're going Roman. Vulcan would have been, been a little Vulcan? too on the nose. Oh, but... okay. So, but Hephaestus is just, you know. That makes everybody deal. go. So I felt like that was kind of, I was like, eh, eh. So there's a lot of little stuff like that as I was reading the characters. And I was like, ah, I got you, dude. <laughs> I'm, it's my type of dorky wink, wink, nudge, nudge. See what I did there? And yeah, I'm like, I, yeah, I did. You know, it kind of reminded me of if Archer narrated a 40k book and there's stuff like that it's like read a book lana <laughs> that's right <laughs> yes pretty much that get cultured damn it get it's cultured. funny yeah that's fair yeah um my so one of the things that really stood out to me was and this is really funny for me because i was already on board with the horror story in the beginning right i was totally on board with that and uh, which we'll talk about here in a sec but <laughs> When the one guy comes to fetch Arna so that they can go and get the navigator. And he's like, oh, she sounded kind of playful when she said Bonko's name. I was like, oh, okay, we'll throw away romance here. But then it developed into like a full-blown little romance story. And it was just like, the whole time. Yeah, like, actually, you know, when that happened, it was funny. Because, you know, uh -huh. she comes to the door. She's like, did you forget something? <laughs> she sees it's not him. It's like, oh, shit, dude. Sorry. Right. He's what like, do you want? He's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, okay, I get it. They've been in the warp for five years. Right. <laughs> we get bored. All right. Mm -hmm. Gotta blow but, off steam somehow. You're right. You know, he had the, you know, she had the reach. He had the flexibility. Or is it? Oh, it's reversed. He had the reach. She had the flexibility. Something like that. Gotta do something. But then. Right. You know, but there's like, no, they actually have feelings. <laughs> they actually care for each other. Yes. That, and I know that we'll, t again, I feel like this is my common refrain. I know we'll talk about that more, but there was like a lot of feelings in this book. Like this book was, there was a lot of emotion in this. And that really stood out to me too. It wasn't just people being scared of stuff, but being concerned for one another. And mm -hmm. there was a lot of interpersonal relationships in here, which I think really stood out. Um, the other thing that stood out to me, so and I will go on record as saying this, the first half of this book is probably the best horror novel that the Black Library has published. Full stop. Oh, wow. Um, That's like, you guys don't understand what kind of high praise that is. Oh, it's, this is, I, oh my God, the way that that first half Oh, the way that he unfolds it, where it's like so you're great. jumping around from character to character and so one of the things along that line that stuck out to me, so the first thing I was going to say is that that scene with the navigator, when they're talking about him the clicking. clicking. Oh my God. So one of the scenes in horror movies that has always stuck with me and I hate it is actually from The Exorcist. And it's when she spider walks down the stairs. I was thinking of, oh, I hate it. But the reason that I hate that scene so much is you can hear her before you see her. Because when they're, you know, they're sitting down in the family room and all of a sudden you hear... And, but it sounds weird, right? So when they're describing that clicking, that's all I could think of. And I was just like, this is not, this is like 10 shades of not okay. I was reading at night, with the lights off. It was a bad call on my part. Especially Anyways. when Vonko's like, he's above you, he's above you. I was just like, oh my oh, God, this is like all oh. my worst nightmares. <laughs> like, oh, oh. All coming to yeah. life right here. <laughs> yes, that, that really messed with my head too. 
I loved that, but I did love Nick Heim clearly likes horror novels. And I said this about in my review of the house of night and chain, there's a lot of scenes and I know that David Annandale loves horror. There's a lot of scenes where somebody does the smart thing. And so in this, he did the smart thing where when the cultists first attacked the ship, I was like, God, that's a lot of cultists. Like they must've just been sitting around. And then like the next chapter, someone's like, how, how did they get, how did they get on board so quickly? Like how many of them were, how did we get so many of them? I even wrote in the margin, that's my type of paranoia. And then when they reveal, when they're in the, um, when they're in like that smelter area with the food and all of a sudden they're like, the guy's like, oh, that's how they got so many on board. I was like, oh my God, yes. So it was so nice that he like presented the scene where normally in horror movies, you're like, how the hell? Oh, I guess we're just never going to address that again. He addressed it. Mm -hmm. And it was lovely. Actually, he did that all throughout the book because there's that second scene in the second part of the book where the, uh, remember one of the scouts is like, did you notice that like everything's equally aged? Yes. And then that had a payoff to it. It was. Which even then I was like, what does that, what does that mean? Or what does that have to do with anything? I mean, maybe you're just making assumptions. Right. Well, I actually, was actually pretty, pretty big. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One thing I will say, speaking of other little things that I wrote in the margins, um, when the, uh, when the mound of bodies parts starts moving and they're like, is it alive? And they're like, yeah, it is. And Pilliam's like, target the limbs. I heard in the march and I was like, somebody also played Dead Space. <laughs> you have to cut off the Necron's limbs. Anyways, so made me really happy. All the horror stuff. I was like, this is so good. Plus romance. What else could you ask for in a Warhammer 40k book? You know, and I have to say, though, um, yes, you know, the demon is always very frightening. But mm -hmm. to me, like the biggest horror was not the demon. It was the navigator. <sighs> Hands down, because it's not like they could just go in their guns blazing. This is if no. they could problem solved. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, in the whole that was so well done, too, with Arna being blindfolded yes. so that she doesn't look into the navigator's eye and him, like, narrating and saying, like, oh, he's above you. Go over here. Go over here. So they can find the band for his eye. Not here. Up here. <laughs> right. But he has a literal third eye. Like, yeah. People practice yoga and Buddhism for years trying to get that to open. And these guys just naturally have it. <laughs> it's just it just happens. Just right. a thing. <laughs> Yeah, they, um, I always, I've always liked the navigators, especially the third eye. Um, it, the way that they described it, because the first time I really saw it in action was again in the Night Lord's Omnibus, because one of the main characters is a navigator. Um, so it was the first time I really got to see that and the danger of it. And so I liked that. It just makes for a wonderful, villain's not the right word. <laughs> hate to say monster but monster well one thing about it though is because they keep saying that you know even when he's not trying to show you horrible things like mm -hmm. humans can never look into the third eye and even space yep. marines shouldn't look into it um or even like be a part of it in in any way but it's also but it's also one of those that you know he's like i must you have to see you have to see so there's something that he's showing them so part of you you 
you don't want to see it because you don't want to, you know, claw your eyes out and stuff. But part of you does like, well, how bad could it really be? <laughs> you know, so that was something that was interesting to me was that in the Night Lord's book, it's insta-death. To look into the navigator's eye is to die immediately. And so that's, that was, this, was a little, this was a little strange to me that the people went crazy and they kind of clawed their eyes out. So I guess I always took that that just meant, look, you die. If you look into the navigator's eyes, that's just a thing. But the more I, the more I read about it and the more instances of navigators that we see, it sounds like that's just one of many awful possibilities that could befall you. Like nothing good comes from this period. No. Because uh, the space Marines, uh, when they first encounter Octavia, they all have their eyes closed so that they can't see her eye because that's her only weapon she has really. And uh, it's just it's just generally awful. Um, so I, I liked this where it was kind of like, look, just, you might not die, you know, immediately. Look, it might be a slow lingering death. Don't worry. Um, that you put on yourself oh, in the worst way imaginable. Oh, oh they described the guy. I was, mm. no, especially because I have a thing with eyes. So yeah, I have a thing with eye injuries since I'm blind in one eye. So <laughs> I already have a dead eye. The idea of anything like, I'm like, no, no eyes are special um it's just yeah the whole navigator thing that was just it was so good and i did like how arna was like no no i don't think he intentionally wants to hurt us that she finally realized it this mm -hmm. isn't this is not your standard i've gone crazy and now i'm corrupted it this is this person asking for help in many ways so i like that i just i loved arna's character in general <laughs> just the, in the creepiest way imaginable <laughs> he's asking for help yeah, yeah. You know, you gotta use the tools you have available to you. Sometimes it's writing. Other times it's your murder eye. I don't murder know. Murder eye. <laughs> like the poor thing. It wasn't his fault. Um, but yeah, the, the descriptions in that was great. I loved the. I really liked Arna's character in general. Just all the chapters where she was, I really liked her. She yeah. was very pragmatic, which I liked. Well, she was. You know, I guess in a lot of ways, she kind of reminded me of, you know, honor bound and that she's yes. this female, she is in charge, but she doesn't have this chip on her shoulder because she doesn't have to, mainly because she's got she a power mall. <laughs> right. But I love that, again, with all the female characters in here, they don't have to assert their no. dominance or they don't have to assert the fact that you need to respect me because people just do. It's like, oh, are you in charge? Excellent. The only one who comes close to it is the poor administratorum uh, girl who, when they go to check on the crates, so the people who are isolated, and that's just because the space marines are like, regular human. Right. Uh, it has nothing to do with the fact, the fact that, that she's a girl. They just, no. some of them, especially Pilium, finds no. dealing with humans just, you know, beneath them. And that was one thing, like, actually, I kind of really enjoyed in this, because, you know, we've talked a lot about with the Ultramarines, you know, and we have talked about how Reboot is kind of like the perfect Primarch in that the perfect prince, I guess I should say, mm -hmm. and that he's brilliant strategist. He knows how to, he will use all the tools available to him, and he knows when someone is smarter than him and something else, and he will use it. And he's a great diplomat. So he's got kind of all those things. And it's one thing that the Ultramarines, you know, that, that Marnius Calgar, especially, he always tried to pull down is like, you know, we have this as part of us. 
And Sicarius didn't always have that. I know we're about no. to go into that. But with this, it was still like it's still like those lessons were still being taught. It's like, okay, you need to be patient with, with the mortals. You need to be, in a word, kind to the mm-hmm. mortals. Without actually saying that. Basically, and I think someone I think it might have been Sicarius who even said, you know, reboot. Uh, kind of pushes this diplomacy we need to too yes when they're in that um so jokes aside he cato sicarius has always been renowned for his arrogance or confidence depending on whether or not you're a cato apologist um the text to speech memes have only elevated this aspect of him but this book shows a very different side of him so is it just the experiences in the warp is it is this kind of his humility treatment or how do you feel about him as a character now that we've gone through this book with him? Well, you know, I hated him. Um, after reading mouth, you're bad. you your man, Uriel. Well, I mean, it wasn't even just how he was treating Uriel in the book. It's six. True. It was just, he was just a total ass. And a lot of it had to do with the fact that yes, they had, you know, they had a demon problem going on. <laughs> And even the the librarian, uh, Tigurius, even noticed he was like they're being they're being more ir- they're more irritated because of the demon presence here, which is when he was trying to basically uh, I don't say light the lamps, but basically just light the wards, keep you know in wards. And he was asking Sicarius for help, and I remember Sicarius just whipped around and basically told him where to shove it. Mm-hmm. And that he's like, if you want to go, we can go right now. And Tigris is like, you don't understand. This is demons. Like, don't you tell me what to do. And I was like, oh my god, we're gonna have a murder like going on right here. And I don't know what Calgar will do because whether it's his best captain and his right. best friend, <laughs> what is gonna happen here? And yeah, I mean, and Sicarius did blame Uriel for what was going on. He had a reason to. I mean. To be fair, you you did go piss off Hanso. Uh, even though they kind of exiled him there to piss him off, but you know, potato potato. <laughs> the point is, it's a complicated situation. So I started to like Cato when Gulliman was reborn, and I almost wonder if Gulliman changed Cato, and not just because of the writers, but it might have been a sign of because there are these all these wonderful memes. That is, uh, you know, when, like, when Cato Sicarius hears that Marnius Calgar is close to death, it's like Cato Sicarius intensifies because it's always this thing like he was going to be the next, the next chapter master. Mm-hmm. But now there's not going to be another chapter master, not with the Primarch back. Like that's that's gone. I think it's because there's something even larger, larger than himself larger than Calgar I think humbled him in many mm-hmm. ways well and I think also being lost in the warp for five years he loses how many men he loses some of his lions it's he... a it's a very humbling I think experience for mm-hmm. him and I really think that being in the warp because you know it's really interesting because we only get to the book their fifth year in mm-hmm. the warp and I would almost kind of like to see like how the shift happens like kind of all the way through but you know then he's already just kind of like it is what it is people like right we're, we're working with the best that we have and he's kind of <laughs> laughing at things right well yeah, i mean 
What else at gonna... that point, I think you have to, which I think gives him so much humanity too. The fact that he's like, this is this is what we've got. <laughs> what else are we gonna do? Like, we can't get mad about it. We can't, you know, just start killing the mortals because hey, we kind of need them. All right. <laughs> well, and that was so. Like you, my previous experiences with him is he always just seemed like an arrogant ass, and. They always said that he was the heir apparent to Marnius Calgar, and, I, and it always made me kind of dislike Calgar because I'm like, how do you not see this guy as an asshole? Which, to be fair, the question still stands. But <laughs> this Cato was much more reflective. And when they get to that second part of the book, when we're, they're on that human settlement, you really see, you see the Gulliman lineage in him. When he's like, no, we're not just going to storm the city and declare martial law. We are going to treat these people like people. We are not going to scare them and we're going to respect them. Because at one point, I think it's Decius who's like, let's just install martial law. Let's just take over and, you know, take this into our own hands. And he's like, no, we're not going to do that. Oh, man, I loved that back and forth because because Decius is like, well, why not? We do it all the time. And Cato is very quick to point out, it's like, yes, we do. But that is in the name of the emperor as part of the Great Crusade. And those are orders. This is we're just taking over because we need we need something from them. And he's like, that's totally right. different. And we should not do that. Well, and he has that great conversation very early in the book with Decius where he um, they're talking about the situation at hand one of the things we'll talk about here in a little bit, but they're just kind of having this conversation. And then after all of the, the, after everybody else leaves, they have this nice little conversation with, um, where it's very casual. This is refers to him as Cato. He's no longer Captain Sicarius because these men are friends and they know each other. And I loved it. Cause I love that they were kind of being funny with one another and they're mm-hmm. laughing and stuff but it was just this i liked that he does go to his friend and am i right like what do you think what, what's your take on this that he is looking for counsel again it was the more as i was reading it i just started laughing because i was like this this oh, the whole exchange was wonderful but it also just showed this really a more introspective version of cato sicarius than i expected to see and maybe this is what marnius calgar knows Right. Maybe Marnius Calgar knew all along he had the potential. Right. It just took a mild case of PTSD to bring it out in him. <laughs> well, seriously. I well, mean, I mean, I would say it's actually a combination of PTSD and Gulliman's return, because I think Gulliman's mm-hmm. return humbled a lot of people. Oh, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. When dad's actually home, like, oh, oh, <laughs> right. And um, not to mention but, the council of 12. Right. <laughs> Right. Um, but the fact that he, li- I shouldn't say literally, cause he's not literally haunted, but he's, he's seeing a Necron from the Damnos crusade. He's seeing this vision haunting him and yeah. whether or not, and that's all, oh, that was one of the things I was going to talk about that and a part that stood out to me because in the Gaunt's Ghost series, Dan Abnett had this concept that I always really liked. There's this one character named Plain Larkin. His best friend dies in like book three or four. I can't remember when Elijah Koo kills Bragg, but um, Bragg appears to Larkin before shit's about to get real. 
whenever a really big fight's about to come or something really dangerous, Bragg will appear to Larkin and be like, hey, batten down the hatches because shit's coming. And it was always this really nice thing and it never really comes up anywhere else. And it comes up in this book with Arna because mm-hmm. she keeps seeing her father, right? As a premonition before bad shit happens. And part of me almost wonders if Cato's Necron that he sees, if that's something like that too, like if that's some sort of, I don't know if it's the warp itself or some sort of sixth sense or whatever being like danger, Will Robinson, there's a, there's a problem. Because if you notice the Necron appears right before shit goes down and almost all of these. Except for the, my favorite moment after when he's talking to um, Dacius and Dacius like, you're okay, right? Like, I know we've seen stuff, but you're okay. He's like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm totally fine. Turns around and sees the Necron. He's like, what are you looking at? (laughs) Right. Well, that's the precursor to, because again, that first chapter jumps around between so many people Mm -hmm. and all things going on that that first, I mean, that first section is like a roller coaster. It starts and you think it's fine, right? Because you're like, oh, people are just talking and they're figuring. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, oh, wait a minute. There's something really serious going on here. And this is bad. It's all bad in the war. Um, so, I mean, you know, thing, the first chapter you have just like, you know, little arena battles. I'm like, I guess they haven't even left yet. You know, yeah. I really couldn't tell. And then like the klaxons start going off. And they're like, Gellerf- um, Gellerfield Breach. I'm like, well, now you got my attention. Because... <laughs> Nothing grabs Carrie's attention no. like a Gellerfield breach. No, because that's be when fair, shit. So I, mean, I mean, it's like smooth sailing, and then shit's real now. Like, right? <laughs> you got all kinds of bad things going on. Could literally, have a crack into hell. Yes. Um. Yeah. Pretty much. So we've kind of talked about this a little bit. Um. How does Nick Kime characterize the Space Marines in this book? Are they more personable, more human? I think some are. Mm-hmm. obviously uh like i think scipio is for sure since he was the one when they had the uprising he's like okay we just need to talk to these people all right let's just find out why they're throwing a fit <laughs> you know and, right and his you know his best friend was like i don't think so dude but uh, ulysses who's just like no i think we need to go in their guns blazing he's like no 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 we don't need to murder these people like so he put down all of his weapons to talk to them Mm-hmm. And turned out they had a real problem. <laughs> you know, something about, you know, demons in the grain, you know, or like little warp entities in the grain, I should say. You know, minor details. Corruption! Right. Yeah, it was terrible. Right. It was not good. <laughs> right. Well, and they really, and you mentioned this before, but they really built on that friendship between Scipio and Julius with not, not just... They showed, like, their differences, like, in that scene, right, where Elias mm-hmm. is like, let's just take care of this, and he goes, no, no, we need to be restrained. There was a moment, it's on page 255, where they're splitting up to go their different ways on the second planet, on the second portion of the book, mm-hmm. when um, Elias says, you know, be careful, Scipio, and he says, you two, I have comrades around me, Buttle brothers I trust with my life, but I think you are my last true friend in the company we serve. So the idea that these guys, they really, I felt like highlighted in this, that these guys, they always talk about being a brotherhood, but there are really deep, meaningful friendships here. Like we knew that with Uriel and Basanius, right? But right. it's nice well, I mean, to know that they're not little unique snowflakes. There's lots of that. Well, you know, so they talk about how they're, how they're a family. Okay. They really are a family because you don't like 
all of your family members. Like, no, you don't. You don't consider every member of your family to be a friend. Right. And that's and that's kind of how that's really how it is with this. You know, we're all we're all brothers, but it doesn't mean we really get along. I mean, look at the Primarchs, for example. They all have their besties. Oh yeah. In the middle of all that, and they're and you know, uh, gosh, in the book Legion, when all um. Alpharius is like, yeah, Reboot and I don't get along, but we're cool with that, not getting along. <laughs> right. Know? Which is, I think, very realistic in a way. Yeah, very much you know, so. I think if you have, like, <laughs> 18 sons, some are yeah. going to get along really well and some are, are not. And I and this is not any different. I mean, it's almost like, you know, compare it to fraternity or sorority. Yes, you consider them all your brothers or your sisters, but you don't you don't call yourself friends. With all right. 500 of them. But it was nice to see those friendships in this. And it was really nice to see that, again, to listen to them talk to one another just as normal people when they're using their first names with one another. And they're just having these, listen to them joke around with each other. <laughs> and to your earlier quip about, you know, oh, thinking is dangerous. And when um, when Cato is telling, talking to Dacius and he's like, yeah, I think they're going to replace us. Dacius is like, not me. Like, it's just, it's funny. There's, they felt so much more human. And I think not in all of the books, obviously, but in a lot of the books, you never really lose that thought that these guys are super soldiers. Right. And they are not human. They're transhuman. They're something else, right? These guys... You don't lose sight of that because they're so strong and there's and they have that martial prowess, but they just felt so much more human and so much more relatable. Much more enjoyable. Yes, much more enjoyable. And I felt like I was much more invested in mm-hmm. their story than I had like there's some other Space Marine books where I'm like, oh, okay, super soldiers. Right? I'm not necessarily that invested in them, but I was it was very it might have helped that they were like a, literally a dying breed in this one. Right. That was not good. Oh, I think it was a. I think it was a, it was a line in this book, is with uh, the the colonist, the guy that, who actually remembered. And he talked about you know how. Imperial citizens never saw space marines. Right. They never wanted to because that oh, meant yeah. bad things were happening. Usually, it meant their planet was going to be exterminated or, you know, any other list of maladies which is so funny so when you read so many space marine books you think that there's more of them than they are and i think you know the horus heresy because the chapters were so big the legions were mm-hmm. so big you did see more of them also because they're you know right. great crusade and just going across going across the galaxy um you know the human side i think you saw that more in the horus heresy i felt like they i feel like in the horus heresy a lot of them are so much more human than they, they are now and which i think is because with with their primarchs who actually treated most of the primarchs except for angron treated them like their sons and right. i love my sons they don't really have that now right and their chapters are smaller they're only only a thousand but they don't have that reach anymore mm-hmm. and so i think a lot of a lot of that humanizing was lost just because you said they are super soldiers and it's only in certain of these books that we get to see the other sides and that's one thing i kind of have enjoyed you know reading the black legion books is that 
Because these are the Horus Heresy guys. They've always been humanized, and they're still right. humanized. Yes, they're completely evil asshats, but they're humanized. Right. Well, and I liked... They went into a lot of the unique difference in, like, the ticks, the quirks of mm. these guys. So, like, the standard bearer, right? How he's constantly... He has it around his belt because, by God, he's not losing this thing. Right. Right? Like, that was so important to him as a character. And with Pillion, when they talk about the spear, and when he first has the spear, and he's like, yeah, a spear is not typically a space marine weapon, but I like this. I'm keeping it. It's pretty nice. Right? Or, he, like, all okay, these little that things phrase... about them. <laughs> was repeated so much in this book. Pillium about his spear. Like oh, every time yeah. he picked up his spear, it's like, it's not a typical weapon. Like, I get it, Anne Rand. Like <laughs> I felt that way about Becalmed. And for some reason I was like, oh my God, say Becalmed one more time. It's so funny because like, uh, so Jen and I were on the phone and we were talking about this and she talked about Becalmed and I hadn't gotten that, I hadn't gotten that far in the book yet. I was actually looking for Becalmed, and I never really picked it up. So it's kind of funny, you know, what things just stick out. Mm -hmm. Well, the funny thing was, is that I was looking on, it was either Goodreads or Reddit. Somebody was kind of complaining about this book and that they didn't really like it that much. And one of their sticking points is they were like, there's a space marine using a spear. An ultramarine wouldn't use a spear. And I was like, first off, that's your big complaint. Second off, they address it like multiple times. Right. Um, and third off, again, he was being Anne Rand. Awesome. It's awesome. So back off. So in the arena, the when he first picks up the spear, and it talked about, you know, kind of how he was spinning it around, I was totally imagining him doing like some kata from martial arts where he's just like spinning it around his back, having it roll across his back and then catching mm -hmm. it. All yeah. cocky attitude. Oh, yeah. Well, all I could think of is I was like, especially with the Primaris Marine, they're huge as is. And then you're giving him a spear. This man's wingspan must be massive. Like, I'm just trying to imagine how much reach you would have in a fight with it. So I was like, yes, spear would be good for you. Or does it look like a toothpick? <laughs> I'm, I'm assuming that's Pillium on the front there. And, uh, whoa, was it a pretty big spear? He walks tall and carries a big spear. I don't know. Anyways. Um, so along those lines of Pillium, this is perhaps the most aggressively opposed, or in thinking at least, that we've seen the Primaris versus the Firstborn, which I hadn't encountered that phrase before, and I liked it. Um, I the too. Firstborn Marines. Uh, how do they compare and contrast? And did you like the Primaris Marines in this book? No. I didn't. It was, um, it was one thing, you know, Felix, I really liked about Felix. Mm -hmm. He knows, because he even talked about, I think it was in Plague War, mm -hmm. where he said he knows that he makes the other Marines uncomfortable. Yeah. Because they're the beginning, because he's kind of a sign of the beginning of the end. And he even yep. like, talked about how he didn't like the way Reboot kept pushing him, because he's like, you don't need to shove it down their throats that they're a dying breed mm -hmm. type thing. So I really liked that about him, and he really instilled that in his company, the Unnumbered Sons, before they were dispersed. Pillion apparently didn't get that lesson, or didn't well, I care. Like, I felt like Hel Helicos did. Oh, yeah, Helicos kept trying to... Yeah, he's like, dude, chill, 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 chill. 
And Pilliam's just like, nope. Obviously superior. That's why I liked it when Hillicus was like, let's get in the arena. He's like, why? He's like, because you need a lesson. I did like that. I did. I did like, though, when uh, Cato was like, did you let him beat you? Decius is like, would you believe me if I said I did? That was kind of funny. But this was, I was actually a little shocked by Pilium. How aggressively he was like, we're better, we're faster, we're stronger, we're more durable. They're dead. They're dying. Why do we even have them anymore? Oh, dude. You just can't go kill like a thousand people (laughs) in your chapter right now. All right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You're pretty much, that's what you're pretty much talking about right now. But I felt as though, because like in some of the books we've read, as you said, more of the premieres are kind of like, okay, I'm just trying to be calm here. Uh, I'm trying not to be appear non-threatening. Um, but some of the OG Marines have kind of been like, and I always felt like that was kind of unworthy of the firstborn. But then in this book, I was like, no, y'all are right to be a little concerned. Well, to me, like, especially like an apocalypse uh, with the Imperial Fists and they had that one Primaris who had taken over uh, but the commander, but there's still commander above him. And they're like, well, you know, the Primarch says we need to use him. He's like, I'm not my Primarch. <laughs> you know, just not happy about it. It kind of reminds... was Shroud of Night, wasn't it? Was it? No, 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 no. It was in, a, I think. No, I think it was yeah, in Apocalypse. Yeah, Shroud of Night. With the Imperial Fist, the commander, when they're, um, remember, they're doing, the, they're making the fortifications at that, uh, at that base. And he's like, do you know how to do this? And the Primaris is like, Yes, of course I know how to do that. Man, I really thought it was Apocalypse. No, because remember, a Primaris is the one leading the Imperial Fists in Apocalypse. Um, I mean, Calder? You, you keep saying, like, building fortifications, and that's not narrowing it down with the Imperial Fists. Okay, that's fair. That's <laughs> fair. Anyway, there was a Anyways, book. There's a book we read. Book. It did, that did happen. That 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 whole conversation. And it right there, it, made, it hit me as like, you know... I was already kind of thinking this in a dark Imperium with the way that Reboot was kind of pushing this. And Felix was like, dude, be sensitive. It reminds me of if you have an older dog and you bring home a puppy. Right. Because the older dog, usually they highly recommend that you don't do that. Mm-hmm. Because 90% of the time you speed up the old dog's death because they see the new puppy and they're immediately resentful. And they're like, this is a replacement. They know. Mm-hmm. And they usually get very depressed when that happens. Right. And that's kind of what I'm seeing with this. It's like, new shiny toy. New shiny toy. But, and it's awkward because I had a job a couple jobs ago, because this only happens in startups, where you end up training your boss on how to do their job because you've been there longer and you've been doing this job longer there's an awkwardness to it and they still need those og marines because they are combat tested and they have all this knowledge like dacius the man has so much more experience than pilium that pilium it would be wise of him to listen right but being a brash kid i know everything i'm stronger and that's that seemed to be, and that was I think what shocked me the most about his character was that, and it's not a bad thing, it was just a little like, oh, whoa, okay. He was basically like, we're stronger. 
okay, well, maybe we don't have the experience that the other guy, it doesn't matter, we're stronger, we're better. We're, we are built for this new millennium. It's like he couldn't, it, all that mattered was his strength to him. And that was, I think that made it interesting to see that type of arrogance because the arrogance that he was displaying is what I would have been expecting from Cato. Very much so. Maybe, maybe not as ignorant. And I don't mean that like in a, I don't mean that in the really negative term. I just mean that he. Maybe less teenagery. Cause that's yeah, what pillar. He felt very teeny. Yeah. Just, I mean, just very like, whatever, dad, you don't know my life. <laughs> I know everything. <laughs> I haven't been awake these five years for nothing. Yeah, exactly. And that kind of shocked me. And the, so the thing that I actually liked about Pilium is that his character arc, he never really comes around to liking humans or mm-hmm. caring about them. He never really comes around to, okay, yeah, we all do need to work together. The only thing he comes around to is the humility piece. In the end, okay, I thought this was a punishment of me and that was unworthy of me, that, that Helicos was just punishing me and being a dick, but that was unworthy of me. I see now that no, he just wanted to prove that I was worthy of this brotherhood. Doesn't necessarily soften any of his other stances. Right. Just realizes that, okay, I was not being, this was not, I shouldn't have been so bitter about this. One thing I, I think I will say about Pillium, you know, when he reaches the, the planet, you know, when the bone swine attack initially, and he's just like, he know he's injured he's like well i'm getting up now and i'm doing this mm-hmm. because it is my responsibility to take care of these people and if i don't do that that means i fail and then i fail in kato's eyes and that means you know basically i should die type thing just that kind of spiral he sets it like i have to do this because if i don't i'm a failure mm-hmm. but at the end when he realizes that it's bad and right. he's and he's even says he's like you know, let them go. And he's talking about, you know, Arna and Vanko. Mm-hmm. And he does. It's just almost like, you know, a, a gosh, a Sons of Anarchy moment at the very end when, uh, uh, gosh, Jax, he, uh, he's, he knows he, he knows he has to die. He has to kill himself. He doesn't know how. And as he's driving and he sees this 18 wheeler, that's kind of weaving. He just does this. And just embraces it. And that's kind of what I imagine Pilium doing. Just being like, all right, here. Big mm-hmm. old target. You can't miss. Well, and that, that, it was so ultramarine of him. Where, yeah, he's injured, but Bones Wine are attacking, so I'm up. And then when he's in the Medicaid, they've removed this sword from him. He's in a really bad way. He even says, he's like, yeah, I'm in trouble. Bones Wine attack. He's up. And, you know, it just continually with him, like, I am dying, but I'm up. And they didn't even make it. Like, they they mentioned, everybody else was like, oh, God, those Primaris guys are really tough. He didn't really even have to mention that, though. It was just, it felt like he had such a, okay, I'm an Ultramarine, and this is my job. Mm -hmm. And I, that, I wanted to hate his character so much. And yet... He was, you know, actually a lot of what it reminded me of was um, Spirit of the Emperor before um, before uh, Amadeus, rock me Amadeus, before he becomes the Primaris. He, um, 
there was never this big moment between him and Onhorada where he's like, oh, I respect you as a human being and I'm going to be softer to you. Nope. <laughs> no, he was who he was. And I kind of, I did like that Pilliam, he had this great honor as an ultramarine, but he was, he just was who he was. <laughs> like, you're not changing that. And I liked that yeah. about him. Um, I don't know if that's a Primaris thing or what, um, but the Primaris Marines and Spear of the Emperor, all of those guys were personable, but that could have just been because, you know. They're out in the Imperium Nihilus as well. So. Right. Yeah. I mean, they're Primaris. <laughs> what else do but they got? Also, that's true. That's true. Also, anybody was personable compared to Amadeus. Um, so it could have just been guilt by sin or innocence by sin. Anyways, forget it. Um, I don't know I was going with that. But that was this, though, again, I was a little shocked at how like openly aggressive they were towards one another. I think, and it, I was shocked too, but at the same time, like, you know, it, they can't all be, you know, okay with it. It can't all be just, you know, the, the or firstborn Marines that, that are having issues. There has to be some sort of arrogant asshole in there. And that, let's meet Pillion. Because. <laughs> That is what he Meet is. my friend. Yeah, exactly. Well, and again, I liked I liked Dacius's, I liked his idea that he was like, all right, let's just, let's have some cage match bouts here. He's like, this will fix the problem, <laughs> which also felt so ultramarine, space marine to me, where he's like, do we have a problem? Let's fight! <laughs> like, oh, actually, but, in, but in a what, non-violent manner. What I thought uh, was uh, Iron Fists. Actually, not the Iron Fist. Iron Hands. God, I keep always crossing the streams with them. The Iron Hands, because in mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> Ferris Manus's uh, Primarch book, they had that. They had right. the cages. And that is where all their disputes were laid out. That's right there. They have the that in uh, Betrayer as well, because mm -hmm. that's the famous scene where Karn beats the hell out of Erebus. I have to read that part like over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> I read it like six or seven times. Yeah, it's one of those ones. Fortunately, it's like the epilogue of the book. Of course. So right. you can go back and read it all the time. It's amazing. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's definitely an established thing. But I like the idea that he was like, oh, this will this will this will get all of our issues out. Like, oh, okay. It's it's very ultramarine, <laughs> despite the fact that they all have these big feelings and these big emotions. They still let's just go to the fisticuffs. So we've talked well, about better than bit. talking it out, right? I mean, <laughs> oh my god, can you imagine? I just want to. I want you to respect me as a human being. Um, anyways, um, so the book is divided into two halves, right? There's the first half, which is in the warp, and then the second half when they land on this human settlement. Do they work well together? Yes, I I really enjoyed it, and like I was, I was telling you earlier. That when they're in the warp, it's like they have literal demons to fight. Demons without. Literal demons that are hatching. Literal demons that are coming in through the Gellerfield breach. They got issues. Mm -hmm. When they land on the planet, there are no literal demons on the planet. And now they have to face their inner demons. Like Pillium, Humility, Cato. Uh, has to put that Necron to rest. Uh, Arna, I don't know if she ever really reconciled with her father with, with, with that inner demon. 
But I feel like she kind of did. Cause she, I think she did. Because when she finally talked about him and just kind of let it go. Right. And when, actually, I think it was more of her inner dialogue where she's like, okay, the, what I said to the counselor lady, that was bullshit. Mm-hmm. I do know exactly what happened to him. But she still never met him. And right. so, but I liked, and I still, I love the idea of him being like her warning sign. But yeah, I think not only that, but figuring out what was going on with Bunko, because that had been this just anchor on her, right? That she has no idea what's going on with this person she loves. There's a very real concern that she's going to have to put him down. Like when she's in the cave, when she's visiting him in the cell Mm -hmm. and she sees the eye drawn all over the walls. That broke my heart because I was like, next, next stop old yeller. Like I thought it was going to have to be one of those or, and their eyes were watching God moment. Um, Okay. That's a terrible book. You should be ashamed for bringing that up. It is. Having said that, it has one of my favorite lines. So the too long did not read for, if you haven't read the eyes are watching God is that this girl falls in love with this younger man and they go off and they live together and he gets bitten by a rabid dog and then he gets rabies and he tries to kill her. So she has to kill him. (laughs) The whole book. Now you never have to read it. Um, But when she kills him, one of the, the line that they use in there is actually one of my favorite lines. And it's, uh, they say it was the cruelest moment. And I was, oh, that's so awful. And so as soon as I got when they were, she was talking about the eye being drawn, I was like, oh no, this is going to be the cruelest moment. She's going to have to do something awful. I'm not quite clear on why she didn't. Like, apparently, just now that he saw that it was the Necrons, he's like, okay. And I'm good. Exercise demon. But I'll allow it. I think it's one of those things, though, that he kept saying, you know, there's something that I want you to see. Uh And it was always going back to the Necrons. Now, I have to say, I don't understand why that vision of the Necrons would make you claw your eyes out. But, you know, whatever. See, it made sense for Karnath, right? Because when Karnath shows up, I was like, oh, I would also claw my eyes out. This is awful. This is horrible. Right. But then you find out that's not what it is. Yeah. And it was the Necrons. And I was like, oh. So... I liked the two halves. And like you said, I think they worked really well together. I think I would have preferred that it went part two than part one. Because that part one is so good. And it ramps up so heavy. And this literal demon shows up, Karnath. And it's terrifying. And it's awful. And oh my gosh. But as I was reading it, and as they finally kill the demon, I had this moment of, wait, it's like only page 150. What the hell could come next? So when they landed on the planet and something's fishy, it was like, okay, this is going to be something else chaosy. When it was revealed to be a Necron chronomancer, my first reaction was, oh, oh, that's it. Like, the orcs were scary, but still not chaos scary. Dangerous, yes, very as a to be a citizen of that city, yes, they would be just as terrifying as demons. But it. It didn't quite have the same oomph as Karnath had. Well, I don't think much will. But at the same time, I think if you had this reversed, I don't know if I would have cared about part two as much if I hadn't read part one. See, that's another problem because you learn about all these characters all through part one and you really get emotionally invested to mm-hmm. them in them. So then when you get <clears> to part two, all of a sudden you're like, no, I care about all of these people and what happens to them. It, I liked it. 
I feel as though Nick Kime had an idea. He had two ideas for a really good book. And then he just mashed them into one. It works. It works. I think... I just, I feel that the second, I, like, again, I love the first half of the book. I really liked the second half. I kind of feel like he had to close things for Cato. True. At the end. And, you know, because Cato's constantly haunted by what happened at Damnos first, the orcs, and now the Necrons. Well, here you go. You just left yes. literal hell. And, oh, by the way, now you get to visit your own personal hell once again and deal with that. While also helping people. Like, it almost, it felt like a weird kind of gift from fate. Like, okay, now that you've gone through literal hell, you need to help people again. Like, you need to do mm -hmm. what Space Marines do and show up and be the saviors. And so, to your point, you get to conquer this demon. You get the personal demon. You get to help a bunch of people. You get to provide a happy ending for a couple of the people on your ship in my Warhammer. And... You get to do all these nice things and it was kind of and also you've come through this a better person now you are now a better leader a better commander you are truly a son of gulliman now like there was this weird it, it's awful everything they go through it's awful he loses more men it's traumatic and terrible and yet it still kind of felt like this odd gift like nurgle <laughs> No, that's not a good uh, gift. There's nothing, no good gifts come from Nurgle. Um, but like this weird turn of fate where fate was like, okay, let me deal you a softer hand now. Now that you've been through literal hell. But oh, and, I, and also and, uh, it does. Uh, sorry that you're going to have like PTSD every time you go through the warp now, but. Yeah, sorry. <clears throat> um, the other thing too is you'd said that it was also a different between external demons and internal demons it was also the two types of fighting that Gulliman always fighting that Gulliman always envisioned for his sons there's the physical fighting of you have to kill these demons and you have to kill these orcs and it's dangerous but there's also political things that you're going to have to have conversations and you're going to have to talk to people and you're going to have to be friggin' charming and make people feel good and you're going to have to be a diplomat and so it's these two very different sides of the space marines that Gulliman always envisioned mm -hmm. and honestly i love uriel ventress obviously um not as much as pisanius but um when i got to the end of this book i'm not sure uriel would have been able to pull off what cato does there at the end when he, it, mostly with the political aspect when he's trying to okay look here i'm talking this through with you i don't know that uriel would have been able to do it no, I don't think so either. But he, he never really had, at least nothing that we have read. Mm -hmm. He never really had the opportunity. I mean, he was kind of, the captainship was kind of literally thrust upon him. That's true. It wasn't like he was actively vying for it or anything. Mm -hmm. um, he just kind of happened. He was um, not a political animal. No, I mean, the closest thing he had with politics was dealing with um, Learchus and his company. The mm -hmm. uh, guy who he never got along with, and while he was banished, took over his company, and now he's back, and now Learchus has to give it back to Uriel after all of his established protocols he's already done. That was like the closest thing I think he had, because even when book five, uh, when they're dealing with the Tau on that planet, he doesn't 
he's not really talking. He's not doing the diplomacy. They have their uh, their plant that they left after the last time they were on this planet, kind of handling all that for him. So, no, I think Uriel, he has his purpose and, and you know, in battle. Mm-hmm. At the same time, you know, Cato's been doing this centuries longer. He's than, been doing it a bit. Than, than Uriel has. I mean, yeah. like, like you said, he was supposed to be the heir apparent to Marnius Calgar. And Marnius is, is almost the epitome of diplomacy. Yes. But um, well, they talk about how inspiring Cato is. That mm-hmm. like, And I kind of, you kind of feel it too, right? Once oh, yes. he starts showing up and everyone's like, okay. Because even Pilium, who's very, Pilium is very brusque and condescending with the OG Marines. Except for Cato. <laughs> Cato shows up and he's like, oh, straight in the back. And I think it's like she mentioned a couple of times that, you know, that when Cato, you know, Helicos was there, who was the com- kind of commander of the Primaris, which I was kind of like, well, this is why you guys aren't meshing. When you bring in your own separate people, that's kind of hard. But all the Primaris are in there. Mm-hmm. So much taller than everybody else. Cato comes in and he seems bigger than anybody else in the room. Right. Because he and- has that presence. And it's more than just his little fan helmet. You know, the sniper target. (laughs) It's so impractical. But of course, you could say that about like so many things. So there was a little novella called Death Knell. And it has one of my favorite lines in it. And it's because the Ultramarines are on this planet and they're fighting against the Crimson Slaughter. Which they make so many jokes about why they're called the Crimson Slaughter. It's rather amazing. But the humans, like one of the humans, he gets kind of bitten by a demon and he's slowly kind of turning and he's looking down at the space marines and he's like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen that their captains have, their helmets are red. Why don't you just paint a target on them and be like, shoot me, please. Well, then poor Hephaestus must just like stick out like a sore thumb. <laughs> like in his all red Martian gear, which he was my favorite character obviously um absolutely adored him so he was amusing i'll give him that oh he was great he reminds me of a vulcan or like data from star trek Mm. next generation who was also my favorite next generation character um I i love when he's going down to explore and figure out why are we losing energy so quickly and he sees the traitor marine and he's like oh that does explain it like it's just like so like nonchalant and same thing when he's like okay that body should not have come back to life that's kind of weird and then he brings it in he cuts it open and he's like "Mm, okay necrons this all makes sense i better go get kato (laughs) it's all just very like ah yes okay got it and then yet he makes kato promise to not tell their apothecary (laughs) that that is autopsy so badly oh my god oh my god well again this book overall, that's one thing I really liked about this. And actually, a lot of the books that we've been reading have been having this too. But the use of levity is very nice. Like in this book, especially, it didn't feel forced. It was just every now and then, hey, you can't be serious all the time. So that was, and that wasn't even like an intentional joke. That was just funny. Don't tell him that I, it was a terrible autopsy. Don't tell him. But that was great. Um, but how did you feel about the ending overall? Because we, we go through, we've killed a demon, we've lost, I don't know how many people, human and ultramarine, and okay, now we're just done. 
it felt very very Warhammer 40k. And one note thing I have noticed, and you know, I noticed it in the Horus Heresy as well, and they even mentioned this in here about how the Imperium comes. Like I think it was Videa coming mm -hmm. on this that the Imperium comes into these worlds, mows down all the trees, and builds like you know, it's polluting factories, and then it's like, okay, here's the stuff. All right, bye. <laughs> like good luck type thing. Oh, by the way, you do owe us a tithe every year right. of like, you know, half your income. So get on that as well. And then just, just kind of leaves. And we even talked about this, like with the Magos, with the Inquisitors, there's like, well, we came in, wow, we sure did fuck a whole lot of shit up. Well, okay, so bye. That's not our problem anymore. <laughs> we, we came for problem A, this is problem B. Peace. Right. Um, and that's kind of what this felt like. It's like, well, you know, we solved this problem. They now remember who they are. They're going to be, you know, rebuilding this colony. That That's really good. Um, okay, bye. Well, and also, because, so, on one hand, okay, like, the heart just, my heart grew three sizes that day when Arna, Arno and Bonko are staying on the planet. And, again, in House of Night and Chain, there's a place, there's a spot early in the book in which uh, the main character, he's an Imperial Guard uh, officer, and he mentions how truly fortunate he was because he was able to go home and live with his wife and children for about a year. And he's like, I actually got to experience my young children's life. And that's basically the best thing that a guard can ask for. And I'm truly blessed in that way. And it's like one year, right? So they dust off on this planet and they even say, they're like, yeah, so it's in the orcs nature to go back to planets that they've been. So they'll be back. Um, there's literally Necrons buried underneath your feet. Uh, but the Mechanicus is probably going to come back and just tear up all of that digging around and poking around and doing God knows what anyways. So really. Yeah, I love that Cato told Hephaestus, you guys can come back here and do whatever you want. I'm like, dude, do you not remember Gulliman like tearing into the tech marines for trying to salvage like Xenos technology? Gulliman would not approve. Oh, man. Yes, that is true. And that is... That's going to be, I feel as though that's one of those undercurrents, right, <laughs> of with, it's just, it's just in the Martians nature. They see Xenos tech, especially advanced Xenos tech like the Necrons and let us get at it. And there's this weird, yeah, I feel like that's going to be a consistent undercurrent and I can't wait to read our next book because of that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, but so God knows what's going to happen there. Um, so yeah nothing can go wrong have, with like, necrons being buried underneath your feet right and the mechanic is coming to find them so uh you probably have like four or five good years and you know what that's the happiest ending you guys could ask for <laughs> and that's true but you know letting arna and vanko stay there right was a huge gift of humanity from kato Oh my God, when she, when he says, he's like, I'm guessing you're going to want to keep these two people with you. And she's like, yeah, I'd like to. And he's like, that's fine. Because they weren't like, they weren't crewman number six and crewman eight. They were actually vital personnel to his ship. So the fact that he's like, okay. Well, not only that, but you know, they're part of the guard. You, you just don't get to stay behind. That's how you get shot by the commissar. Right. And the fact that he was just like, nope, that's fine. That he, I, 
I was shocked by it because you could tell that it wasn't like he was doing a favor to this woman who he had a he was close with, right? It wasn't just a favor. Like you could tell that some part of him grasped that yes, okay, those two people have been together. They've been through some shit. They deserve. This is fine. This is fine. That was to me. That was yeah. Again, that was a little lump of sugar for Kata Sicarius, where I was like, oh you. You're wonderful. And then, of course, there's the very, very end where uh, I think it's, uh, uh, is it Agamon? Yeah, Agamon runs in and Calgar's like, what do you want? And, and then Agamon says, takes off his helmet and Calgar's like, dude, get on with it. <laughs> like, and you I just like that all he, says, all he says is he has returned. And the fact that Calgar's like, Wait, oh my god! <laughs> I just, I've never met an ultramarine harder to kill than him. Mm-hmm. Sicarius has returned. And that's so when I, I wiped tears and hugged the book. It's so nice. It was so good. I mean, in terms of, and it's funny because again, they lose so many people and all these awful things happen. And they had to face a demon and orcs and necrons and oh my gosh. Oh my. And then he actually, <laughs> yes, oh my indeed. Um, he just gets a nice ending. He gets to go home now. He's home now. And I don't know, that is that is a happy Warhammer 40k ending. This is about happy as you can get it. <laughs> Basically, yes. I mean, we had minimal and death. Frankly, I mean, even Euless survived. And I was, well, was right. one thing when that, that final battle was going on with the orcs. I was like, oh, man, if they fucking kill Ulysses. And then Vandi- Vandius got hurt. I'm like, no, this is not acceptable. Yeah. Oh, the core group there, if, if any more of them would have yeah. died, I would have right. If Hephaestus would have died, I would have right. Like when he got sucked out, I was like, oh, no, he didn't. That was Pilium that got sucked out. Uh, remember Hephaestus, his leg, his leg gets Oh, at the out. very end. At the, oh, oh, the very end. Yeah, that, no, 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 that part with William. Okay. Actually, when he got sucked out, I was like, bye, Felicia. And then, they were like, no, he's still well, actually, alive. You know, I, I thought like, that was actually going to be Pilium's humble, humbling moment. <laughs> so you just get to trudge back, like, god damn it. Nothing like, you know, falling out from the upper atmosphere. <laughs> Couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. To bring you down to earth. Yes, I went there. Heyo! I know. But yes, actually, when, when the ship collapsed on Hephaestus, I was like, son of a bitch. Who's so angry? Like, so now how are they going to get home? Like, I know, I know. they do, but how? Right? <laughs> You're going to need him. He's vital personnel. He is not a red shirt. He's not a red shirt. Even though he he was red. vital personnel, even though he wears red armor. Damn it. It's just not working for me today. But, oh, well, actually... I won't go to all next generation. Um, so, but yeah, it was a it was a happy ending, and frankly, they all deserved that. They so did. I got to the end, and when it was a good, I mean, it was a happy ending. It made me feel warm and fuzzy. But later, when I was really thinking about the book, I was like, "Good, good, they deserved this, damn it!" Because they did, they did. Now, having said all of that, I'm not sure our next book is gonna. I don't, I don't know that this can have a happy, I don't know that there's going to be a lot of happiness when you're dealing with Belisarius call the great work and special shout out to our friend Drew and Ross 
and a few of our listeners on YouTube who've been like, you've got to read this book. Oh, it was on the list. Like, as soon as it was announced, we're like, oh, we're we're buying that. Actually, the big joke that we had was that we were reading Knights of the Crag for Carrie because of her Ultramarines. We were reading Belisarius Call for me because of um, Techbert, because of uh, the Mechanicum. So we both really like Knights. I'm hoping we both really like this one, too. I do, too. Because even though I can't stand Belisarius Call, I want to know what the fucker's up to. (laughs) Oh, I like him, and I want to know what the fuck he's up to, because he's up to no good. Well, no, it's like you've already said, like, obviously that machine that he uses to speak with Gulliman is obviously Necron tech. Yeah. That and it's creepy as fuck. I'm sorry. You got little cherub babies, like, opening their mouths. And, like, the the fact that they're, like, the way they describe them, like, breathing and exhaling as Mm -mm. their mouth opens. Mm -mm. Yeah, but I think, you know, after we had read um, Plague War... And there's that scene when Gulliman's like, yeah, when am I going to see you next? Because I'm not going to make you the Grand Magos, but when am I going to see you next? And he's like, I'm going through a tunnel. tunnel. <laughs> um, I'm glad to see that they're still talking at the artwork on this special shot. I know that we gave a shout out to the art on this, but the art on this is beautiful. I actually like that the fact the only part that's shining is Belisarius's face. All of his technical pieces yeah. or like his uh, glowy pieces are mm-hmm. shiny. Yeah, I noticed that as well. It's a nice, it's a nice touch. Well, also on the, um, what's his face? I think that's Felix. He's Felix, but what the fuck armor is he wearing? That's not Ultramarines. He looks like Bumblebee. I wonder My if, first I wonder if I he's got it, new like armor because he's a Tetrarch type thing. Did they get new armor? That could be. Yeah, they absolutely could. Tetrarch Felix. <laughs> it just sounds weird. It does sound kind of weird, doesn't it? But yeah. I was really happy to see that he was here. As soon as I saw that on the back of the cover, I was like, oh, everything's going to be fine because Felix is here. Oh, I love Felix. So we all. So great. So great. Do you want to take us out, Carrie? I sure will. So thank you all so much for listening to us. This has been Warhammer uh, 40k Book Club episode regarding the Knights of McCrag by Nick Kime. Be sure to join us for our next book where we find out what our favorite totally not heretical tech marine is up to. Belisarius Call, The Great Work by Guy Haley. Another Guy Haley book. I know. Be shocked. We are an unofficial book club and not affiliated with the Black Library or any of its affiliates. You can find both the vidcast and the podcast on our website, wh40kbookclub.com. If you like this episode, please like, subscribe, give a review, and all of those things to the vidcast on YouTube or the podcast on, on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and now Spotify. Our site also has articles about our adventures in reading other Warhammer 40k books and short stories outside of the book club books. So please stay a while and read from a crag. Good night, everybody. Good afternoon. Did you have to be... Whatever, woman. (laughs) Yes, because there's light behind me for once. Ruin the illusion. Goodbye. This is all staying in the podcast, by the way. (laughs) Fuck.